This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. everyone. Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. I am Lindsay. First off, I want to apologize for our unexpected uh, two-week hiatus. Um, first, I lost my voice, so doing an episode didn't really seem plausible. And then I um, started a new job, so I've been really super focused on that for the past little bit, just kind of making sure that you know, I learned how to not suck at what I am supposed to be doing. Um, it, it definitely takes some brain power. So I have kind of struggled getting everything together for a show. But here we are. We're about to have a show. <laughs> Thank goodness. You may be wondering to yourself, where is Logan and his melodic and fabulous radio voice? Uh, well, <laughs> Logan is a bit of a busy bee at the moment, and he's actually working on a super exciting project that I am certain that he will tell you all about next week. But for now, you get me, Lindsay. So hopefully me just talking to empty air doesn't sound too weird. I'm kind of just imagining just sitting here chatting with you guys, maybe like at a bar or at a coffee shop, you know. Obviously, this is definitely a a one-sided conversation, and I'm just kind of imagining that, sipping on my yummy drink. I'm hoping this turns out cool. You know, let me know if you hate it, and maybe we'll still do it. Maybe we won't. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean in the future. Anyway. So, for this episode, we are doing Summer Folk Tales tonight, in case you didn't see the episode title. (laughs) We are splitting this theme into two parts, just like we did for the winter and the spring folktale episodes. This week's part, it's more summer-themed as a whole. The next episode is going to be more, like, specifically midsummer-themed. So, like, some info on midsummer and the summer solstice, as well as, you know, stories that are related to them, just as kind of a heads up. I did also want to mention, just as a point of order... Or business um, that I put all of our cocktail recipe graphics just kind of into one post on our website, which is folkloreontherocks.com in case you forgot. Um, so if you're like trying to remember the drink that we did, or if you're just looking for something yummy and you want to browse the site, you can find that post on our site. It's even got a super special little button on the main page that says past cocktails. So it's super easy to find. It's just like on the right side of the page. If you can't get there, let me know. I'll point you to the right place. I'll stick it in our show notes too, just, you know, for good measure, but whatever. Anyway, on to our cocktail for tonight. We kind of just wanted something like fruity and refreshing, something that's kind of a perfect drink for summer since we are doing summer folktales. Um, So we kind of landed on this tiki-style cocktail, the Mai Tai, which you may be familiar with. Logan mentioned that it's kind of an exotic and special drink, and and while it's pretty well known, a lot of people may not know quite what's in it. So I am here to clear that up and, 
you know, solve a little bit of mystery for you. <laughs> I will say, give the caveat that there are many different versions of this recipe, like many popular cocktails have, right? You know, a lot of the times there's an original and then versions kind of appear from that. They change because people want to make it more palatable to the masses, you know, people who haven't kind of cultivated that refined sense of specific flavors. They basically, you know, dump a bunch more sugar in or replace a certain liquor with another liquor, that type of thing. And that's kind of happened here, which is, I think it's fine, mostly because they're all delicious. I mean, the ingredients that you're putting in all of these versions of this drink are asimilar and B, all taste good. So you can't really go wrong. So this is the version that's likely similar to what you're going to find being made in most bars, even if it's not exactly the original. It's delicious. It's summery. So let's get into what this drink contains. Uh, We have a quarter cup of pineapple juice. Some recipes have like orange juice, so that'll work well too. You could even do a little bit of both if you're feeling adventurous. Then we have an ounce of light rum, half an ounce of dark rum, a lime's worth of fresh lime juice. So that's like one or two tablespoons about. Um, Half an ounce of dry orange curacao. Half an ounce of orzat syrup, which is maybe not something you've heard of before. Maybe you have. But it's basically like an almond flavored syrup. If you don't have that for some reason, (laughs) you don't have like this extensive cocktail, you know, shelf on your house somewhere, which is totally understandable. You could just use simple syrup or sugar and water if you want, you know, like something to just add a little bit of sweetness to the drink. You could do simple syrup and maybe a tiny bit of almond flavoring, you know, just to get that little something extra in the drink. Uh, You also have one teaspoon of grenadine. And then to garnish, you have like a mint sprig, a maraschino cherry, a pineapple slice, all the good stuff. To make it, you combine the pineapple or orange juice, the light rum, so not the dark rum at this point. So orange juice, pineapple juice, light rum, lime juice, the curacao, the orzat syrup, the grenadine, or I guess you could just use maraschino cherry juice, whatever you'd like. And you combine all of those into a cocktail shaker. Uh, you're going to strain that into an ice-filled rocks glass. And then the fancy part of this is you're going to float the dark rum on the top of the drink. So I think typically people do that. Like, And if you don't know how to do this, I would maybe just Google it. And there's probably a zillion YouTube videos on how to do this. But I think generally people put like a bar spoon on the top of the drink and very slowly pour whatever they're trying to float on the drink over onto it. Like they, they pour it over the back of the bar spoon or maybe into this bar spoon in place. I don't know. I don't do it super often. Sometimes it works for me. Sometimes I am probably a little too impatient and it doesn't work for me. So whatever. Anyway, so you're going to float that dark rum on the top of the drink and then garnish away to your heart's delight with with all of the many delicious garnishes, like the mint sprig, the maraschino cherry, and like a pineapple slice. I would recommend an umbrella 
little cocktail umbrella because uh, why not? It's a tropical drink. You know you want it. It's just a little festive and that's nice. I, as always, will have links to the places where I found these recipes and kind of bastardized them. Those are all in our show notes. If you want, feel free to pause here, go make yourself a drink, and come back and join me. All right, so now that you've made your drink, and I have one, on to our stories for the evening. We've got three tales to share, and lucky you, you still get Logan narrations. So I can keep saying we, because we are sharing these tales. He just isn't here for this part, but that's okay. We're excited about this. I'm really happy that we still have Logan narrating because he is much better at this than I am, but you guys all know. I do want to note that these stories are kind of short, which is fine. You know, they're they're each about maybe five to six minutes long a piece. And you did get to hear me discuss them solo, uh, but feel feel free to talk back to me. You know, if you're not in the public place, that's going to make you look bananas. Or maybe you, you know, don't care about that and you want to just talk back to me anyway. I don't care. Either way is great. We're having a conversation. Everything is cool. So our first tale, it is German and it is from the book Grimm's Fairy Tales, (laughs) which is also known as, quote, children's and household tales, unquote. And it is by obviously, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, aka the Brothers Grimm. That is right. This is our very first Grimm's fairy tale, at least as far as I can remember. And I'm actually super excited about it. You know, the Grimm brothers, they wrote so many of what are like the epitome of classic tales that we know and love as fairy tales today, you know, within popular historical knowledge. They are the ones that when we say fairy tales, these are the stories that we think of, right? Between these bros here and Hans Christian Andersen, you know, we've kind of lassoed up all of the tales that Disney did or that we read in books as kids, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to actually be doing something that's one of their tales. So in this book, in their Grimm's Fairy Tales book, this story specifically was was eventually replaced by one called The Singing Springing Lark. It's a similar version, but it has some major differences. Uh, I personally prefer this version, which is why we're doing it. Um, it is called The Summer and Winter Garden, and I think that you will find it very familiar. So Logan is going to narrate that tale for us now. The Summer and Winter Garden by Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm A merchant was planning to go to a fair, so he asked his three daughters what he should bring back for them. The oldest one said, A beautiful dress. The second, A pretty pair of shoes. The third, A rose. To find a rose would be difficult, for it was the middle of winter but because the youngest daughter was the most beautiful and because she took great pleasure in flowers, the father said that he would do his best to find her one. The merchant was now on his homeward trip. He had a splendid dress for the oldest daughter, a pair of beautiful shoes for the second one, 
but he had not been able to get a rose for the third one. Whenever he entered a garden looking for roses, the people just laughed at him, asking him if he believed that roses grew in the snow. He was very sad about this, and as he was thinking about what he might bring to his dearest child, he came to a castle. It had an adjoining garden, where it was half summer and half winter. On one side, the most beautiful flowers were blossoming, large and small. On the other side, everything was bare and covered with deep snow. The man climbed from his horse. He was overjoyed to see an entire hedge full of roses on the other side. He approached it, picked one of them, and then rode off. He had already ridden some distance when he heard something running and panting behind him. Turning around, he saw a large black beast that called out, Give me back my rose, or I'll kill you. Give me back my rose, or I'll kill you. The man said, Please, let me have the rose. I'm supposed to bring one home for my daughter, the most beautiful daughter in the world. <sighs> for all I care, but give me your beautiful daughter for a wife. In order to get rid of the beast, the man said yes, thinking he would not come to claim her. However, the beast shouted back at him, In eight days, I will come to get my bride. So the merchant brought each daughter what she wanted, and each one was delighted, especially the youngest with her rose. Something came stepping heavily up the stairs to the door. Open up. Open up! It shouted. They opened the door and were terrified when a large black beast stepped inside. Because my bride did not come to me, and the time is up, I will fetch her myself. With that, he went to the youngest daughter and grabbed hold of her. She began to scream, but it did not help. She had to go away with him, and when the father came home, his dearest child had been taken away. The black beast carried the beautiful maiden to his castle, where everything was beautiful and wonderful. Musicians were playing there, and below was the garden, half summer and half winter. And the beast did everything to make her happy, fulfilling even her unspoken dreams. They ate together, and she had to scoop up his food for him, for otherwise he could not have eaten. She was dear to the beast, and finally... She grew very fond of him. One day she said to him, I am afraid, and I don't know why. It seems to me that my father, or one of my sisters, is sick. Couldn't I see them just once? So the beast took her to a mirror and said, Look inside. She looked into the mirror, and it was as though she were at home. She saw her living room and her father. He was really sick from a broken heart, because he held himself guilty that his dearest child had been taken away by a wild beast and surely had been eaten up. If he could know how well off she was, then he would not be so sad. She also saw her two sisters sitting on the bed and crying. Her heart was heavy because of all of this, and she asked the beast to allow her to go home for a few days. The beast refused for a long time, but she grieved so much that he finally had pity on her and said, Go to your father, but promise me that you'll be back in eight days. She promised, and as she was leaving, he called out again, 
Do not stay longer than eight days. When she arrived home, her father was overjoyed to see her again. But sickness and grief had already eaten away at his heart so much that he could not regain his health. And within a few days, he died. Because of her sadness, she could think of nothing else. Her father was buried, and so she went to the funeral. The sisters cried together and consoled one another. And when her thoughts finally returned to her dear beast, the eight days were long past. She became frightened, and it seemed to her that he too was sick. She set forth immediately and returned to his castle. When she arrived there, everything was still and sad inside. The musicians were not playing. Black cloth hung everywhere. The garden was entirely in winter and covered in snow. She looked for the beast, but he was not there. She looked everywhere, but she could not find him. Then she was doubly sad and she did not know how to console herself. She sadly went into the garden, where she saw a pile of cabbage heads. They were old and rotten, so she pushed them aside. After turning over a few of them, she saw her dear beast. He was lying beneath them and was dead. She quickly fetched some water and poured it over him without stopping. Then he jumped up and was instantly transformed into a handsome prince. They got married, and the musicians began to play again, and the summer side of the garden appeared in all its splendor, and the black cloth was all ripped down. And together, they lived happily ever after. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I thought it was pretty fun. I've always thought that it was uh, a little silly of the daughter to ask for a rose in the middle of winter. Like, I understand that it's the concept of her asking for, you know, something simple and non-materialistic, kind of like her sisters did. But honestly, how did she expect him to find one? Like, she knows it's winter, right? She's basically telling him, like, I want you to bring me back something that very likely doesn't exist when it's supposed to be just, you know, this innocuous, sweet request Literally all of this story could have been avoided if he had just compromised and brought her like a pretty rose necklace made out of gold or silver or something or roses embroidered on some tapestry or something like that's (laughs) it's a strange request right like and kind of rude I don't know it's it's weird to me. Another thing, I don't know what's up with that whole eight days thing. It seems like a really strange number. It's never explained. Um, I'm also not really clear on why the beast couldn't have gone with her to, you know, visit her dad or whatever. I would love to know more about his curse or like whatever this thing he has is. I assume it's a curse. It never explicitly says that. Um, but I'd, I'd love to get some context, you know, for the things that don't make sense. But like I said earlier, this is an early version of a Beauty and the Beast type tale. And the later version changes pretty significantly. Um, I read through it a bit and it's definitely different. An editor talked to them or something and <laughs> lots got changed. Whatever. It's fine. I actually really love the whole concept that half the garden is in winter and half of it is in summer, like perpetually. It kind of speaks to the state of the beast, like that he's neither fully man 
nor fully beast, but he's both, you know? The garden in that state is kind of like in stasis. So obviously when winter takes over, the balance is clearly off. He's dead. And let's actually talk about him being dead for a second because like he's weirdly resurrected by just a whole bunch of water being dumped on him. So weird. Um, it's not like her tears or anything, just randomly water. Um, maybe maybe it's a mis- mistranslation type thing. Uh, that would kind of make sense to me because if she was just, you know, uh, leaning over him and her tears were pouring out constantly because she's so sad, which she would be. I mean, he's dead. That makes sense that that would have some sort of magic power to bring him back. But just like you know, grabbing a bucket and just dumping water. Like, who would even think to do that? You find this guy laying there. He's dead. And your first reaction is just to pour water all over him? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe mistranslation, like I said. Maybe it really just doesn't make sense. Who knows? It's an interesting story tactic. We can't talk about A Beauty and the Beast tale, though, without obviously discussing the Disney movie a little bit. This tale clearly has some parallels, right? There's the obvious one of Beauty and the Beast, like the very basic plot of the tale. Uh, Other similarities or like the whole crazy old Maurice thing, you know, with him looking for a rose and, and people laughing at him in the story. Roses are obviously a thing. Uh, the magic mirror is another thing that are both, those are both, you know, similar to the film. Uh, cabbages are not a thing. So weird. Cabbages. Uh, there's no Gaston to speak of, right? There's no humans that are magicked into animated singing household items. There's no wolf attack. There's no sisters. There's no father dying, although he, he was sick in the movie. So, I mean, all in all, it's it's not a horrible rendition of the tale. The Disney movie isn't isn't terribly off from like this tale specifically, but it's also definitely not the only version of the story. Um, I'm pretty sure that the original of this is French, and it differs a lot more from the Disney movie than the this Brothers Grimm version. Um, but it's this still differs a bit too. All in all, this tale isn't dark like some of the other fairy tales that are written by the Brothers Grimm. I don't know if you've read them, but I definitely recommend it. Uh, But there are stories like about Cinderella, about Snow White, about Rapunzel. The originals of those tales are like generally far, far darker uh, than the ones that you may be familiar with. You know, we've got some rape. We've got some people cutting body parts off. We've got some multiple murder attempts. Like, there's it's some dark things, right? And they, from what I remember that I've read, the brothers actually got some major criticism when they released their tales. I mean, generally, they, they took... And this is just me spitballing, having not super researched this at all. So sorry about that. But they took um, tales that they knew or had heard from specific people 
and they kind of it, it was more of them just collecting things from what I know as any good folklorist is wont to do and so for them to get like flack from these tales that were told to them seems sad to me but also you know we're all victims of our our time and especially with books uh, I know that your editor is generally the person that you need to be pleasing and they're it's tied in with publisher and you know like you're trying to I guess make your product as sellable as possible right that's the goal <laughs> so um that's I think that's that's what happened here as some of their tales evolved and everything but for the most part I think that they stayed pretty dark even in later versions so if you if you really want to see how dark some of those are I, I do recommend reading the ones that they have of like Cinderella or Rapunzel they'll give you uh, a better idea of what people are talking about when they're like, you know, fairy tales aren't all they're cracked up to be, or Disney got it wrong. <laughs> Do that or read like The Little Mermaid or something like that. Those tales that we know and love as Disney films are generally very different and a lot gorier, which I like, but are meant to, bore, to be more cautionary tales than you know, pretty, pretty princesses and, you know, so read them. They think they're great. Uh, I do want to mention why I preferred this version of the tale. Specifically, it reminds me of Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater TV show that's from like the late 80s. Uh, if you never watched it growing up, I highly recommend checking it out on like YouTube. I'm sure you're able to find it there. I think it might be on Amazon like to rent to, but I could be totally wrong. I do have some links to it that are on YouTube, so I will stick those in the show notes. So if you're interested in watching them, which I really recommend you do because they are amazing versions. Um, they are chock full of stars that will be super familiar to you. The the actors are, they're just having a blast. Like Shelley Duvall came up with this concept of collecting actors and directors from all across Hollywood at that time and just involving them in this awesome cable TV project that she came up with of doing like, you know, 50, 60 minutes of film for a, a fairy tale. Like they're really good. I like literally to just name a few of these actors because there are a ton more than what I am about to name. Uh, we've got Robin Williams as the Frog Prince, Carrie Fisher as Thumbelina, uh, Malcolm McDowell as the Wolf in Little Red Riding Hood. We've got Jeff Bridges, Helen Mirren, Billy Crystal, uh, Christopher Lee, uh, James Earl Jones, Jeff Goldblum, Vanessa Redgrave. Leonard Nimoy, John Lithgow, Bernadette Peters, Christopher Reeve, etc. And it had some like super famous directors as well, like Tim Burton and Francis Ford Coppola. So like the vibe of each episode is different. Like I said, I'll put a few links in the show notes. It isn't amazing production value, right? Because it's the 80s and you do what you can. And these weren't meant to be like feature films or anything. They were just meant to be 
a show for kids that would be visually engaging and get the point of these tales across, like get these stories told. Um, And there's just something that's like chill and magical about them. You know, I have like vivid memories of the, of these episodes. And when I think of these tales, this is what I think of along with the Disney movies, right? So there is an episode of Beauty and the Beast, and that's exactly what I'm thinking of here. Uh, Because very similar things happen. It's not exactly the same, but you know, her dad getting a rose for her and encountering the beast and stuff like that, that, that's all very similar. In this one, Susan Sarandon is actually beauty and she's awesome in it. It's so great. So um, I'll put lots of links. The beast is kind of weird in that episode, but somehow it like suits the vibe of the episode. I think it has a lot to do with the person that directed it and I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. But anyway, so now that I have blabbed a ton about our last tale, sorry, and um, spoken about some tangentially related things, let's move on to our next tale. This one is called How Glooskop Found the Summer. And Glooskop, he's is actually a benevolent culture hero of the Wabanaki tribes, which kind of just for a geographical reference is like the area around what is now like Northeast New England in the United States. So Logan is going to tell us this tale now. How Glooskap Found the Summer Long ago, a mighty race of Indians lived near the sunrise, and they called themselves the Wawaniki, the Children of Light. Glooskap was their master. He was kind to his people and did a great many deeds for them. Once in Glooskap's day, it grew extremely cold. Snow and ice covered everything. Fires would not give enough warmth. The corn would not grow. His people were perishing from cold and famine. Glooskap set forth to the far north where all was ice. Here in a wigwam he found the great giant winter. It was winter's icy breath that had frozen the land. Glooskap entered the wigwam and sat down. Winter gave him a pipe, and as they smoked, the giant told tales of olden times, when he reigned everywhere, and all the land was silent, white and beautiful. His frost charm fell upon Glooskap, and as the giant talked on, Glooskap fell asleep. For six months he slept like a bear, then the charm left him. He was too strong for it, and awoke. Soon now, Glooskap's tail-bearer, the loon, a wild bird who lived on the lake shores, brought him strange news. He described a country far to the south where it was always warm. There lived an all-powerful summer who could easily overcome the giant winter. To save his people from cold and famine and death, Glooskap decided to find her. Far off to the southern seashores he went. He sang the magic song which whales obey, and came up an old friend, a whale who served as his carrier when he wished to go out to sea. The whale had a law for travelers. She always said, You must close your eyes while I carry you. If you do not, I am sure to go aground on a reef or sandbar, and be unable to get off. You could be drowned. Glooskap got on the whale's back, and for many days they traveled together. Each day the water grew warmer and the air softer and sweeter, for it came from spicy shores. The odors were no longer those of salt, 
but of fruit and flowers. Soon they found themselves in shallow water. Down in the sand, clams were singing a song of warning. Keep out to sea, for the water here is shallow. The whale asked Glooskap, who understood the language of all creatures, What do they say? Glooskap, wishing to land at once, only replied, They tell you to hurry, for a storm is coming. The whale hurried on accordingly until she was close to land. Now Glooskap did the forbidden. He opened his left eye to peep. At once the whale struck hard on the beach, so that Glooskap, leaping from her head, was able to walk ashore on dry land. Thinking she could never get away, the whale became angry. But Glooskap put one end of his strong bow against the whale's jaw, and, taking the other end in his hands, placed his feet against the high bank. With a mighty push, he sent her out into the deep water. Far inland strode Glooskap, and found it warmer with every step. In the forest he came upon a beautiful woman dancing in the center of a group of young girls. Her long brown hair was crowned with flowers, and her arms filled with blossoms. She was summer. Glooskap knew that here at last was the one by whom her charms could melt old winter's heart. He leaped to catch her and would not let go. Together they journeyed the long way back to the lodge of old winter. Winter welcomed Glooskap, but he planned to freeze him to sleep again. This time, however, Glooskap did the talking. His charm proved the stronger one, and soon sweat began to run down Winter's face. He knew that his power was gone, and the charm of frost broken. His icy tent melted away. Summer now used her own special power, and everything awoke. The grass grew green, and the snow ran down the rivers, carrying away the dead leaves. Old Winter wept to see his power taken away. But Summer said, Now I have proved that I am more powerful than you. I can give you all the country to the far north for your own, and there I shall never disturb you. Six months of every year you may return to Glooskap's country and reign as before, but you are to be less severe with your power. During the other six months I will come back from the south and rule the land. Old Winter could do nothing but accept this, so it is that he appears in Glooskap's country each year to reign for six months, but with a softer rule. But when he comes, Summer runs home to her warm south land. When at the end of six months, she returns to drive old winter away. She awakens the north and gives it the joys that only she can bestow. All right, so welcome back from the tale. <laughs> I do want to say that I like that Winter is just kind of a giant that that likes to kick back and wax on about his past, you know? I think we've all been around someone like that in our lives at one time or another, you know? Like somebody that just yammers on and on about themselves or their past, and we basically want to fall asleep for like six months. Maybe that's not a good assessment of how boring somebody is, because honestly... I want to sleep for like six months, basically all of the time. But my point stands. <laughs> I think we've all, <laughs> we all know someone that is kind of like winter, you know, or ha have known at some point. So a magic song that wails away is kind of the most legit thing ever. But as for like Glooskop's journey, let's, let's be real here. It would be extremely difficult to travel on a whale's back, in the ocean, 
for literally days on end and keep your eyes shut for the entire time. That's bananas. But in saying that, sure, it was hard, I guess. I mean, he's like a magic hero, but maybe so maybe it wasn't that hard. But honestly, his his whole interaction with the whale kind of made me mad. Um, like he basically uses her. He lies to her and then he does exactly what she tells him not to, which puts her in danger. You know, like, sure, he fixes that mistake, but like, still, it's pretty rude. And then right after that, he kidnaps Summer, drags her like a world away just to do his bidding. Like, could he not, I don't know, have civilly spoken to her and maybe asked if she wouldn't mind helping him get winter to back off a little bit. I know he's trying to save lives, but kidnapping is obviously not a great way to get somebody to help you. Um, yeah, it, like it worked out okay for him in the end because Summer is a total badass and has super cool powers. But still, like I know he's a folk her- hero and everything, and I definitely. I don't know all the tales that are associated with him across like a lot of different tribes in that in that region. But he he kind of seems to suffer that from that like brazen and kind of arrogant attitude that a lot of heroes in folktales seem to have. Like maybe he's super kind and thoughtful in other tales that I have not read, but while he got the job done here and he saved his land and his people Like, it was definitely not in the most tactful and gracious of ways. But, you know, it had interest in the story, and it's kind of got that macho vibe. I don't know. Still, like, he seems cool despite that. You know, he's he's doing something helpful. He's a hero. It is what it is. Right. So, um, side note, how amazing (laughs) would it be to, like, understand the languages of all of the creatures kind of like Glooscop did um holy freaking crap that would be so cool right I know I'm not alone in thinking this I know like the second you guys heard that too or probably some of you that are like animal people heard that you were like uh sick that would be amazing because I think it'd be really cool honestly sometimes I think the animals are more interesting than people I mean, they're definitely mm, purer than people, you know, unconditional love, interesting lives that don't revolve around dumb stuff like ours do, you know, they're just really cool. I like them a lot and it would be great to have a chat with them. And I know some of you agree with me. So, um, I guess my final takeaway from the story would be that Logan's Ocean animal voices are kind of my fave. I know. They're great. So, moving on. This is so weird by just myself. Like, I hope you guys are dealing with this okay. But we're, we are progressing. We are moving on. Our third tale tonight is Dawn and Dusk. And it's by Friedrich Robert Fallman. Um, it's originally in Estonian. I'm not sure who translated it's but we uh, we've got a link to where we found the translation as well as a link to the original story in our show notes where you can find everything um 
Like seriously, they're weirdly comprehensive because I'm a nerd. So you should check them out sometime. Um, this story specifically is starting to bleed over into next week's theme a little bit because it does talk and heavily involve the summer solstice, which is going to be the main theme of next week. So think of it kind of as a crossover slash preview, if you will. Uh, here is this lovely tale. Dawn and Dusk, or Koit Yahamarik. The short time of happiness, of song and flowers, is the time of short nights and long days. It evens out the suffering of the long, dark, and cold winters here in the northern sky. In the times of this northern joy, when dawn extends a welcoming arm to dusk, an old man told a story to the kids gathered around him. And I, I will tell you the story. Do you know the light source in the vestibule in the home of the old man of the sky? Right now, the light has gone to sleep, but already you can see the rays of it peeking out from the east, where it is ready to come out any minute. Do you know to whom the hands that greet the sun when it comes down from the sky and sends it to sleep belong to? Do you know the hands which wake up the sun and relight it again before it sets up for another trek across the sky? The old man of the sky had two trustworthy slaves who had been gifted with eternal youth. When the sun had finished its very first journey across the sky, the old man said to Dusk, "'Into your care, my girl!' I give you the setting sun. You have to douse the light every night, so it will not harm anyone on its way to slumber. The next morning, when the sun should have started its next journey across the vast expanse of the blue sky, the old man said to Dawn, Your job, my boy, will be to relight the sun every morning and prepare it for its daily travels. And so it was. Both of the immortal souls did as they were asked, and the sun was up in the sky every day, not missing any days, even when it barely peeked out across the horizon during the long dark of the winter. On days like these, it finishes its journey sooner and gets enough time to sleep, because the morning time comes later on as well. When the spring comes, the sun will wake up nature with its warm rays, and it will realize that from now on, till the autumn comes again, it has to work more than it had been used to. And the summer comes, when the sun does not go to sleep at all, and dusk gives the sun straight to dawn, who relights its dimmed glow again. It is the time of the summer solstice, when the world is filled with flowers and song, light and joy. It is the time when both slaves of the old man look into each other's deep dark eyes for the longest of times. As dusk hands over the sun to dawn, their hands touch in soft caress, and their lips meet in the briefest of the kisses. But the old man never sleeps, and he noticed what had happened in the brief glimpse of the night, and he gathered both of them during the next day. He smiled to both his slaves and said, Dear ones, I am happy with your work, and it is my deepest of wishes that you will be happy together. You two should marry and continue doing your jobs as man and wife. Both of them answered him in unison. Oh, please, old man, do not ruin our joy. Let us be young and in love forever as bride and groom, as our love will stay fresh and young forever. The old man smiled at them again and blessed their decision and agreed to let them continue as they wanted. And ever since then, there is a time in this year, four short weeks, when dawn meets dusk under the dying light of the day, 
she sets the dimming sun into the hands of dawn, and their hands meet with a soft touch, and their lips meet in a sweet kiss. Dusk's cheeks are red, and the sky reflects her joy and excitement to the mortal men, by glowing reddish until dawn relights the sun again, and the yellow glow will greet the sky dome again. The old man knows the importance of the meeting, and he fills the world with beautiful flowers and the sweetest of sounds as dusk rests her head against her lover's chest a tad too long. In brief moments, they are happy to meet, but they have to separate once again so they can meet again next year. And this was the story of the two eternal lovers, Dusk and Dawn, who can only meet for a short time in summer, only to be parted again. Short and sweet tale. It was definitely lyrical and, and romantic in tone. A simple, innocent tale of love that also kind of explains the summer solstice, right? So just for context, Estonia is just south of Finland, um, which means that it's very north. So winter days have very little daylight. Like they just ha they have just over six hours in December of daylight. And then summer days have a lot of daylight, like over 18 hours in June, right? Like that's bananas. For even more perspective, uh, in December, the sun might rise around 9 a.m. and set around 3 p.m. And while in like June, uh, so now, uh, it might rise at 4 a.m. and set at 10.30 p.m. Like, I don't know about you, um, especially our listeners in the far northern and southern reaches all around the world, but I would have a really hard time adjusting basically constantly. Like this whole very long period of daylight thing is definitely a huge factor in this tale. I can only imagine that it's being like told on the shortest night of the year, the summer solstice, right? The, the time when there is the most daylight, the least darkness. The sky very likely doesn't get super dark, so it really suits a story that's talking about dusk and dawn meeting as the light from each of them it, they probably meet each other to some degree, right? Like, darkness probably doesn't last that long. I don't know. I might be wrong. But it's still super romantic and lovely. In general, like, dawn and dusk explanations and myths are plentiful around the world. So it's actually super interesting to see different iterations, especially since it's not often within the purview of, like, specific gods and many a pantheon, right? I hoped that you enjoyed Logan's old man voice. I know I did. Uh, I also enjoyed that it was kind of framed to be a story within a story. Like it really evoked that feeling of kids around a campfire or at a summer solstice festival just being told this magical tale by some, some crafty storyteller man, you know? Um, I did think it was strange that the other old man in this tale, like the capital O, old, and capital M, man, because um, that's how it's written. But I did think that it was strange that he notices them kiss, like Dusk and Dawn kiss, and is like, oh, you know, good job. You have my blessing. Go ahead and get married. And they're like, don't ruin our joy. Let us be married. Like, it, it might have something to do with the translation. Uh Bride and groom might actually be more casual terms instead of what they were translated to. 
Um, I do know for sure that one kiss does not necessarily a marriage make um, or should shouldn't. I don't know. Some places, you know, arrange marriages and stuff. Sure. That's fine. But to be like this uh, doe-eyed, romantic, like puppy love kind of thing, one kiss does generally not equal like, oh, I'm going to marry you. Yeah. Anyway, kind of weird. I do think that it's really sweet that the old man is so happy about them, though. Like, it makes, like, his sign to them that he loves them and approves of of their love in making the world super gorgeous during the summertime with these flowers and these beautiful sounds. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any pictures of Estonia. If you haven't, I highly recommend, like, Googling it because everything there looks like it belongs in a fairy tale like from the cities to the landscapes in any season of the year like it is magical place to look at Uh, i highly recommend it all right so we are at our promo for this episode the show that we are promoing this week is called get grim so weirdly appropriate for this episode and i think it's great um, if you can't get enough of the folktales that we do here, you are going to love this show. If you want more tales and discussion of the tales, like the folkloric aspects within them, as well as like a lot of general, general mythological tidbits. So I think that you should give them a try. Check out the promo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Get Grim, a podcast for the miniature folklorist and teller of tales. I'm Kayla Knight, and each episode, I will take you on a brief but enlightening journey into some of our most well-beloved or little-known tales from around the world. In 30 minutes or less, we will explore the background of a theme or topic, along with a couple of narrative tales to accompany it. Each episode is released on a fortnightly basis, with companion episodes on off weeks filled with the stories that take you further into the theme for the episode. There is something for everyone in every episode, whether you love Cinderella or Santa Claus, Snow White or the Big Bad Wolf, the world of tales you thought you knew is infinitely bigger and more complex. Check out Get Grim on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right. So, as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Folklore on the Rocks. You can find us at Twitter at Folklore Rocks. Yeah, I can't do it. He's not here. Sorry. But Twitter at Folklore Rocks. Uh, pictures, notes, sources are on our website at FolkloreOnTheRocks.com. We do have a Patreon if you'd like to contribute monthly or a PayPal button on our website if you would like to make a one-time donation. Honestly, it would be a giant help to cover costs, and it would really help us be able to continue making the show. Um, so if you do have a little extra money lying around that you wouldn't mind throwing our way, uh, we would really appreciate it. Uh, we are still doing free stickers if you write us a review and send a screenshot in. Or even if you just want to rate us and leave a review on 
iTunes? I think they're getting rid of iTunes, but I think it's turning into Apple Podcasts. I'm pretty sure you can still leave a review there. Um, if not, you're welcome to leave one on Facebook or on Stitcher. They both accept reviews as well. So we are happy just to get feedback from you guys in that regard. Um, and even more happy to reward it with some pretty cool vinyl stickers. So, um, even bigger reward with that is when we hit 100 reviews, we're going to do that bonus episode with a listener-selected creature. So be sure to tell your friends. Um, word of mouth is like literally the best marketing that we could possibly get. We really thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with me, talking to the ether, imagining you sitting here with me and just chit-chatting. But uh I know it's still a little weird. We will be back to normal next week. And I hope you tune in next Sunday for that. See you then. I guess. Hear you then? Something like that. Bye!